Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Church at Carl Junction. So glad you're with us this morning here in the room and online, worshiping here. Today, we're continuing our series called Onward. Everything we're talking about in this series is how we have been built for action, to take next steps of belief and faith in the kingdom of God. We've talked about worship. We've talked about uh, communion. We've talked about all kinds of things. This morning, we're going to speak about the ascension of of Jesus, how the very ascension as Jesus rose back to heaven built us for action. We're going to start in John chapter 20. I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to jump right into the Word together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this book, these words that you inspired so long ago and you have preserved for us. Thank you that as we read from this, that we can know you are speaking to us. I pray, Father, this morning that everybody listening here and wherever we are, would hear your voice over mine, be guided by your Spirit in your ways. And Father, I pray that together as we, as we take next steps forward, we would see our community, our county, our state, our nation, our world transformed through your Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. John chapter 20 is where we're going to start. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn there if you would. If you don't have a Bible, today I want to give you one. A blue Bible just like this. If you're in our building here, Next Steps table in the lobby, we have these out there. I'll give one to you on the way out. If you're watching at home right now, worshiping online, then just email us right now. Say, I need a Bible. It's on the screen there, and we'll get one to you before next Sunday. John chapter 20. The context of what's happening is that Jesus has completed his ministry with his disciples he's completed three years with them he's went to the garden of gethsemane one last time and he knelt there to pray and says he even sweat drops of blood there he, he prayed so intently if there's any other way let it be but not my will but yours be done and sure enough that evening that night the soldiers came and the mob came and they arrested jesus they took him off to trial and that night he went to the cross where he was crucified in our place to take the weight of our sin and our shame on himself. And then he was buried and then he resurrected back again, came back to life. And in John 20, verse 1, we pick it up right in that moment. And we have to understand as we read this that, that Peter and the other disciple, who I'm going to refer to as John, the writer of the gospel, these two disciples and then Mary Magdalene, the three that are in the event we're going to read and talk about, they don't know what's happening. We know. We know the end of the story. We know Jesus is resurrected. We know it's going to happen later on. He's going to ascend back to the Father. The Holy Spirit's going to come. The church is going to grow. We know that. But they don't. This is what happens in John chapter 20, verse 1. It says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Mary, now she's heard along with the others, Jesus talk about his death and his upcoming resurrection. They, they've heard these things, but they don't really fully understand it yet. They don't fully get it quite yet. And so Mary does what maybe you've done before. She's going to the cemetery to visit the grave of a loved one, to, to spend time in that place and Mary goes out there and she sees that the stone has been removed been rolled away from the entrance 
And she's disturbed. And so verse 2 says that Mary, now, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. She came running back to them. And she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. We don't know. She, she runs to the tomb. She sees this, and she runs back to Peter and to John because she doesn't know what else to do. At this moment, for Mary and for Peter and for John, they really have one priority. Just one priority. The number one priority is to find Jesus. They want to find Jesus. They want to bring things back, to restore them back to the way that feels normal. They want to find him. They, they would love to bring Jesus back to walk with them and to talk and to pray and to laugh with them, but they, they would even trade it all in just to, to find his body. They're just in a moment of panic and grief. What are we going to do? Things are changing, and I don't like it. Because just like you, and just like me, they didn't like change. Even when it's for their good, they don't like change. So they go running back and say, we don't know where they've taken him. See, when our emotions get involved, we want to feel something comfortable. When we get nervous, when we get nervous, we want to run back to what was comfortable. We want to return to a moment that felt comfortable and known. I often meet people and I say that people do what they know. We return to what is comfortable when we're nervous, when we're scared, when we're confused, when we feel lonely or feel lost. We return, we run back to whatever felt comfortable. Even in this event, we're talking about Mary and John and Peter. Peter does this very thing. If you read through the rest of the Gospels between now and the end of them, when Jesus ascends back to the Father and the church, the disciples are sent out on their mission, we read that Peter even, he's experienced a terrible tragedy. Peter was at the garden when Jesus was arrested. Peter was the one that pulled a sword and tried to fight to protect Jesus and, and was rebuked for it and told to put the sword away. And Peter was the one at the cross that, that was asked if he was with Jesus. And he said, not only do I know him, not just once or twice, but three times. A terrible tragedy on the cross. And Peter has the added weight, the added shame, the added guilt imposed on himself of denying Jesus. And so what's Peter do? Well, before he met Jesus, Peter used to be a fisherman. He's pretty good at it. And now when he feels nervous and lost and scared and confused and lonely, he ran back to what was comfortable. And we read at the end of the Gospels that Peter actually went back to be a fisherman again. He's out fishing. And in fact, Jesus goes to find him and calls him into the shore from his fishing boat again to restore him back to his kingdom purpose and calling, his identity in the kingdom, the family of God. But Peter runs back to what's comfortable. It's what we do too. Whenever we're scared, we're nervous, we're confused, we're lost, we want to run back because we don't know what else to do. Verse 3. Verse 3. It says, So Peter and the other disciple, John will call him, they started for the tomb. Now both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. So John got there first. He bent over. He looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. He just peeked in. 
And then Peter came along behind him, and he went straight in the tomb. Now, Peter, as maybe you know, he's always quick to jump and to speak and to go and to do, even inappropriately sometimes. And so Peter gets there, and he just barges right into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place. It was separate from the linen. And then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, he also went inside. He saw and he believed. But then it says in parentheses, they still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They believed something, but they didn't fully understand yet. They didn't fully know what had happened and transpired in this place. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. See, it had been three years now, three years with Jesus, three years talking about the, the sacrifice to come, the resurrection to come, the future to come, three years. They didn't quite get it yet. They still didn't fully understand. And so the two disciples went back to join the other disciples where they'd been staying. But in verse 11, it says that Mary did something different. Now Mary, she stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, seating where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. She saw these two angels in the tomb, and they asked her a question. The angels spoke and said, Woman, why are you crying? She answers as honestly as she could with everything that she knows. They've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they've put him. Just feel the weight of the emotion in her voice. She's, she's devoted everything to following this friend, this man, this Jesus. And he's been buried. And she went to the tomb to spend time there to see the body. He's gone. And the angel says, what are you looking for? What are you crying? She says, they've taken him away. And I don't know where they put him. She's, she's, she's lost. She, everything feels wrong. Everything feels out of the ordinary. And she just wants to get normal back. I, I, if I could just get, if I just knew where Jesus was, then things could go back to the way they're supposed to be. If I just knew where he was, things could go back to normal. If I could just get his body back, I would love to have him walk with me again, but if I could just get his body back where it's supposed to be, then things could feel the way they're supposed to feel. I don't know, though. I don't know where they've put him. And at this, then, the next verse, 14, at this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. And he asked her the same question, Woman, why are you crying? But he added to it, Who is it you are looking for? Woman, why are you crying? And who is it you are looking for? He cuts right to the chase. But she doesn't recognize him. And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. If you'll just tell me where he is, 
then I will go get him and bring him back so things can be normal again. Where is he? And she just said to her, it's just, it's just one word. It's her name. Mary. Sometimes I wish that the Bible, we could have the audiobook narrated by God so we knew what this sounded like. Was it a proclamation? Mary. Was it a scolding? Mary. I don't think so. When I read this, I, I feel the weight of Mary, the, the weight of her emotions. And I picture Jesus just reaching his hand out and saying, Mary, an invitation, a consolation, a reminder that he knows her, that she is known by the one she loved, Mary. We're lost, we're nervous, we're confused. We're scared. We need to remember that Jesus just says, Adam, Mike, Sally, just says our name, calls us back. When she heard this, she recognized him. She recognized him. She turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi which means teacher. And I think in this moment, if I could take a peek at her thoughts, maybe she thinks, I found you. I found you. Now we can go back to normal, and you're alive. This is incredible. Let's bring it back to normal. And she runs to him, and she embraces him. I found you. Now things can go back to the way they were supposed to be. Jesus. I really wish this next verse as I've read this over and over, I really wish this next verse, I wish Jesus responded differently. I wish he looked back at her and he said, Mary, just come let me hold you. Mary, let's just spend some time together. Mary, let's just hang out for a while. Mary, it's all going to be back like it was supposed to be. It's all going to be comfortable and familiar again. But that's not what he says. In fact, he looks her dead square in the eye and he says in verse 17, do not hold on to me. Just let go. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. I am ascending. I have not yet ascended yet. He looks back at her and he says, Mary, stop holding on to this body. This body is the past, but I have a better future for you. I have a next step for you, and it's going to be even better. You see, Mary, when I'm in this body here, I can be in one place with one person at one time, but Mary, I'm about to ascend to the Father, and when I ascend back to the Father again, then I can be with all people in all places, in all times. Mary, quit holding on to me. See, Mary wants to run back to what was comfortable, go back to what was familiar, and she holds on to what she thinks is the best thing because it's the comfortable thing. She wants to regain that. And he says, Mary, stop holding on to me. you got to let go. you got to move on. And you go tell my brothers that I'm ascending to the Father, to the King. I'm ascending. And so Mary went back. 
She told the disciples that Jesus is alive. Why does this matter? Why does it matter? I mean, I could end the message right there. We could end the sermon right there, and you could leave this place. You'd be like, oh, yeah. So now I know that Jesus ascended. I've learned that. But why does it matter? I don't want you just to learn something. I want you to know something. I want you to take a next step and to live differently because of it. See, we know from the ascension, we know that Jesus finished his work. See, he came from heaven to earth. He was born, laid in a manger. He grew into a man. He went to the cross. He was buried in the tomb and he resurrected to redeem us, to purchase us back from our sin. We know he finished his work. We know that Jesus is preparing a place for us in eternity. We know that he went to prepare a place, a a home for us to live in for the rest of eternity. And we know that Jesus is preparing his return to gather us and to take us to that place. We know all these things. But that's not my favorite part of the ascension. That's not the part that I cling to the most and get the most hope from. That's not my favorite part. See, I have to remember that in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, let me read this to you. Romans 8, 34, it says that Christ Jesus who died, more than that, he was raised to life. He is at the right hand of God, and he's also interceding for us. We know that Jesus finished his work. He's preparing a place. He's preparing his return. But more than that, what I know is that Jesus ascended back to heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And that changes everything I do. It changes the way I react to every situation. And Jesus didn't return to the Father, ascend to heaven, to sit down at the right hand of God because he was tired. He didn't get up there and and life was so hard that he barely drug himself back into heaven and he had to sit down there and put his feet up on the ottoman and just rest for a while. That's not why he sat. Jesus ascended back to heaven and he sat at the right hand of God and he did it for your good. So that every time, every time you mess up, every time you sin, every time you fail, every time the temptation overwhelms you, he leans over to the Father. He points to the scar on his hand. He says, See the scar? This pays for what he did. Let's just call it even. Do you get the weight of that? Every time you mess up, see, you're trying to follow Jesus. You're trying to live a life that honors him with your ways and your words, your actions, your relationships, your job, your finances, your home, your kids. You're trying to live a life that honors Jesus, but every time temptation overwhelms you and you slip and something happens and you mess up and you're overcome with weight of shame and the weight of your guilt and you are overcome with what happened and you don't know how you can go on because you failed so much and you wonder if God even loves you anymore and you don't know if it's even any good anymore you don't have to wonder because you know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God and he's leaning to the Father and saying look here this paid for what she This covers it. 
So let's call it even. Because he is interceding for you for all eternity. And so you don't have to live a life full of guilt and shame and misery and failure. Because the one who made the sacrifice for you is still making intercession for you. When you feel nervous, when you feel scared, when you feel confused, when you feel lonely, you don't have to run back to what was comfortable. You don't have to go back to fishing. You don't have to go back to sinning. You don't have to go back to taking care of yourself because no one else is going to do it. You don't have to go back to being alone. You don't have to go back to being closed in your house by yourself. You don't have to go back to what was comfortable because you have a Savior sitting at the right hand of God interceding for you. You don't have to run back to what was comfortable and try to rediscover what felt normal to you before because you can take a next step forward and know that you have been covered because Jesus is interceding saying, look at this. This pays for it. You don't have to run back to what was normal. You just have to lean into Jesus. That's all you have to do. Because we know, we know that through Jesus, God has invited you. He's offered you a thing called covenant. Covenant means this. It means that he has invited you to everything that he has. In covenant, there's always two parties, and the stronger party, the more powerful party, always offers it to the, the lesser party, the weaker party, the smaller one. And the stronger one always offers everything that they have, their identity. God says, this is my identity it's yours now. My authority, my kingdom, my eternity, my wealth, my provision, my everything. And he offers it to you. And when we enter into covenant, we don't sign a contract. We don't enter covenant, leave covenant, enter covenant, leave covenant. When we enter it with, with the Father, we surrender our identity for the one he offers and he knows our name. We surrender our authority for the authority he offers. We surrender our kingdom for his kingdom. We surrender our influence for his influence. We surrender our wealth for his wealth. We surrender everything for what he offers, and we enter into covenant with him. And when you feel nervous, and when you feel scared, and when you feel lonely, and when you feel hurt, and when you feel lost, and you don't know what to do, and like Mary, you say, I just don't know. You don't have to run away from the covenant back to what was comfortable. You just have to lean in. And you have to know that what Jesus did to bring you home, what Jesus did to redeem you, to, to rescue you, still counts today. And when you feel lost and confused and scared, you lean in. Because Jesus is leaning into God saying, look at this. This means they're still covered. I just called even. And so you lean into covenant. And you rest with him. 
this morning, what I want to do is I want to invite you, if you've never followed Jesus, if you've never followed Jesus, if, 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 if you came in here today, or you logged in today, turned your screen on today, you feel nervous, scared, lost, confused, lonely, hurt, abused, mistreated, and you just need some kind of hope. I want to invite you to the hope that Jesus offers through the sacrifice on the cross, through the, the victory of the resurrection. I want to invite you to that today. I want to invite you to that covenant that God is offering you. I want to invite you to, to enter into it, to surrender your identity and your kingdom and your past and your mistakes, and you accept everything that he is offering, everything that he is, his character and his heart and his future. You accept it. I want to invite you into that. The way we do it here at the church is we baptize people into Jesus. We lower into water. And our sins, as we are symbolically lowered into the water, lowered into the grave like Jesus was, our sins are taken away and forgiven. As we are entering into that covenant, and we come out of the water, and we are filled with that Holy Spirit, as we are entering into that covenant, and we get to walk with powerful, confident, hopeful next steps. So today I invite you to do that. We've already had one baptism in our 8 o'clock service today. We can have more all day and all week. So I invite you to that covenant today. And if you've already been following Jesus, I want to encourage you and challenge you with this. As you walk out these doors, as you leave your home, as you go to work, you sit in a classroom, Satan is going to try to remind you of all the horrible, terrible, awful things you've done. He's going to try to make you run away from this covenant and run back to what was comfortable. He's going to try to convince you to run away from the next steps into the unknown and run back to what was comfortable. But you need to never forget that Jesus does not dwell on what you've done wrong. Jesus dwells on how you have been rescued and redeemed. So lean into him because he's leaning to the Father and he's interceding for you. So when you leave this place and you leave your home and you go out into a broken world, you don't have to be afraid and lonely and scared and nervous and confused anymore. You can be hopeful and confident no matter what comes to you. And you can smile and you can just lean into Jesus and you can know you can know that your future might be bumpy, but your future is going to be following Jesus. It has a purpose, and Jesus knows your name. He's calling you home. I want to pray for you, and then I want to invite you to respond to Jesus as we sing one more song together today. So you're ready to leave here today, walking in the confidence that comes We'll know that Jesus is still fighting on your behalf. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this moment here. I thank you for your word. But more than that, I want to thank you that you did not just love us when you made us, and you did not just love us when Jesus 
was born and you did not just love us when Jesus went to the cross. You did not just love us when Jesus was risen from the dead, but you are still for us. You are still loving us. The sacrifice that Jesus made still counts today. And we are never alone. We are never lost. All we need to do is surrender our past and lean into you. And Father, I pray that these here this morning, these watching this morning, these worshiping together today would lean into you from now on. Be reminded that you have never left us, never abandoned us. And Father, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.